Welcome to another episode of Repro Radio. This time we are covering something that is very dear to Simon's heart. What are we talking about, Simon? We're talking about sex semen, Taylor, my favourite <laughs> topic in all of reproduction. I know this is the episode that you have been hanging out to record, so I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It will be, at least for me, but I hope <laughs> that it is also fun for the rest of you and that you are uh, you learn uh, a little bit about this topic that I love so much. And uh, look, if you're a producer and you're thinking about utilising sex semen, that you get some ideas uh, as to how the process works and how it would be integrated into your particular management system. So we've got great interviews coming up with Neil Ganeson, who is the lab manager at ST Genetics in Australia, as well as our ECR, Cleo Micus. But before we get into that, Simon, I want to interview you a little bit because sex semen was your PhD topic. It was. It was my PhD topic. It was uh, also played a role in my, my honours research as well, but it's uh, something that I'm, I'm intimately familiar with, having sat for many, many hours with a, a sperm sorter. So to start off with, what is sex semen? Sex semen refers to usually a straw or some kind of solution of sperm cells where you have had enrichment of one sex. So it means that rather than having roughly a 50-50 ratio of X-bearing sperm to Y-bearing sperm as what you would get in a normal ejaculate, you have enrich that through the process of sex sorting by flow cytometry so that you have around about, it's usually set at about 90% enrichment for one particular sex. Tell us a little bit about what semen sexing actually is. How does the process itself work? Okay, so the process itself is based on modified flow cytometry. So what that means is that you have a flow cytometer which has been modified in order to process a sperm cell. So what happens um, if we take a step back from the machine and first look at what goes on with the sperm is that you collect your ejaculate, you dilute it down a little bit so it's at a slightly lower concentration and then you add a special dye to it called Herxt 3342. And what this stain does is binds with the DNA and then it allows the machine to see the DNA in the sperm cell. So you're able to see whether or not you've got lots and lots of fluorescence, which is what happens with the X-bearing sperm, or a little bit less fluorescence, which is what we have with the Y-bearing sperm. Now, the reason why that's happening is because the X-chromosome-bearing sperm has a little bit more DNA, so there's a little bit more fluorescence, whereas the Y-chromosome-bearing sperm, a little bit smaller, is that, that Y chromosome, so you're just not getting quite so much fluorescence. And each of those sperm is shot through the machine at around about 80 kilometres an hour in a single stream and oriented in a certain way so that you can just see the flat head of the sperm cell because most of the, the uh, mammalian sperm that are being processed, or all of the mammalian sperm that are being processed with this piece of equipment, they have a paddle-shaped sperm cell. And that was the, the thing which caused so much problem in development of this particular technology because if you read the fluorescence on the edge of the sperm versus on the flat side of the sperm, you get a very different reading. So the sperm cells are oriented in the flow and you just get a read on the fluorescence 
of that flat side and the machine is able to distinguish whether or not it's X or Y and then that flow comes down. There's a little crystal which causes that flow to separate into droplets. So each sperm is encased in a single droplet of fluid and then depending on whether it's an X or a Y chromosome-bearing sperm in the droplet, it's given a positive or a negative charge, passes down through some electrostatic gates. Of course, opposites attract, so you have the sperm cells being um, attracted one way or the other and collected into tubes. So that's basically how the process works. And I believe that is called the Beltsville method, right? Yeah, it was uh, developed... Uh, back in the the late 80s by uh, Larry Johnson of the uh, the USDA after a whole lot of research by Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories, which is a, a weapons um, laboratory um, over in, in the US, which was involved in a lot of research on um, nuclear warheads. So the, the, the work actually came about by the... the Lawrence Livermore were doing research trying to figure out what kind of effect radiation had on the, the human germline. And they were utilising mice as a model species. And they wanted to see yeah, what was happening to the DNA in the, in the sperm cells. But they couldn't get a good read on the DNA because of this issue with the orientation of the, of the sperm cell. So there was development of a, a, a sorter there which allowed the sperm to be oriented correctly and from there the technology was pushed forward from just being able to sort non-viable cells through to uh, being able to sort viable cells. Are there any other methods that are being used commercially or have gotten to the stage where they might actually be a viable technology for sexing? So there's a, there's a slight variation to that original Beltsville method which is currently in um, commercial use. So uh, ABS Global utilise a, a slightly different method uh, and their product is called Succel. There's one distinct difference um, between the two processes and with the Succel product, instead of having electrostatic gates to push droplets one way or the other after being given a positive or negative charge, the sperm cells, which are the sex that you don't want, get shot by a laser and chopped up so they're not viable anymore. So you're only left with viable cells of one sex in that particular straw. So that's the only other commercial sex semen product that is, uh, is in the market today. You will see, if you search online, in the, the human space as well, in the livestock space, a whole lot of products which will... Uh, promise that there will be some kind of sex pre-selection occur. If you look back through history about all of the different things which supposedly would alter the, uh, the sex ratio of, of offspring, and certainly in, um, in human reproduction there are, there are still methods which are, which are advocated uh, around timing of intercourse um, and you know, acidity or alkalinity of the, uh, the vagina Lots of folklore out there around this, but to date, the only validated, repeatable methods are utilising flow cytometry. 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit then about, I guess, the realities of using sex semen in industry. Sure. You know, are there differences in the fertility? How does it impact the cost of straws? Yes, yeah, certainly. And I mean, that, that was the big thing which held the technology back. So to begin with, you were only being able to sort hundreds or you were able to analyse hundreds of cells per second, uh, whereas that went up to the, the current situation now where you're, you're analysing 50,000 cells per second. But even at that speed, you have a, a limit on the number of cells which can be produced. So because of that, you have to reduce the number of cells which you would put into a straw to deliver by AI. So to summarise, you're reducing the AI dose that you're using. Even the, the really fast machines there's still less sperm and for most species the sperm tends to not last quite as long so it has a shorter fertilizing lifespan Um, and that equates to there being a little bit of a reduction in fertility now the marketing of uh, sexing technologies has been recently with the, the sexed ultra 4m product that you will get results that approach the results that you would achieve with a, with the conventional straw. There's, there's been some research come out just in the last month that would suggest from a meta-analysis that, that maybe it's around about 20% lower still. Um, but as we'll hear from our ECR, it does still seem to be very, very dependent on what farm you go to. So there are some farms where we'll get comparable results, comparable for fertility between sexed and, and non-sexed straws whereas others will have a, a bigger um, difference between the two. So overall, fertility is still a concern, but it's certainly less of a concern than it was when the uh, technology first came out. And I guess it's really just about considering the, the kind of cost-benefit analysis as well, right? Looking at the benefit that you get from using sex semen against the cost of potentially having slightly lower pregnancy rates. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's the thing that you know, we're always at pains to say that we're not saying to, to use one technology uh, over another. Everybody's got to do their own due diligence and figure out how it, it fits in for them. Um, I, I should make clear that almost everything about sex semen is angled towards cattle. Um, mm-hmm. So when we talk about fertility results, when we talk about sperm numbers, it almost always um, is about cattle. But uh, sheep... Are a, are a different story. You know, we've been able to show that fertility of, of sex ram semen can be exactly the same as with um, the, the standard non-sexed doses. And there's been some great results recently uh, fertility-wise with, uh, with sexed ram semen. Well, I know you would keep talking about this literally all day if I let you, but we've got to let these people get on to listening to our other interviews. So let's jump into them now. Absolutely. This episode is sponsored by Zoetis, a global leader in animal health. Now, Zoetis are well known in the repro world for making cedars for estrus synchronization. Having put many a cedar in myself, I can tell you how simple they are to use. It's pretty much the only easy part of running a field fertility trial. If you'd like more information, check out zoetis.com.au. Today we're talking to Neil Ganesan, who is a 
Lab Manager at ST Genetics in Australia. So Neil, can you start by telling us a bit more about yourself and your job and what it entails? Thanks, Taylor. Uh, yeah, so I work as a laboratory manager at ST Genetics Australia. So for the last five years, I've been working uh, as a lab manager, managing the operations um, and also uh, um, helping the business grow, um, you know, um, in, at, at where we are and uh, looking to, uh, you know, expand our footprint in uh, other states as well. So tell us a, a little bit about Australia's only sperm sexing facility. So just a little bit more about exactly where it is and how long it's been there and, and what the scale of the operation is. So you're right, Simon, is we are the only sorting facility, a sex sorting facility in uh, in Australia. We are based in Camperdown, which is about two and a half hours from Melbourne. We've been established for the last, for 11 years now. Uh, yep. And uh, we have 10 sorting heads processing uh, um, wine semen uh, predominantly. Uh, we, uh, we process both uh, dairy and beef semen. But in the last few couple of years, at least, we've started the uh, to produce a lot of small ruminant semen and uh, some equine semen as well. Hmm, interesting. I didn't know that you guys were doing horses now as well. Yeah, so it was a, a, a pilot scale project, which we did uh, um, in 2019 and early 2020, uh, which was very successful. And we're hoping to do uh, more horse sorting, like horse semen sorting in the coming months. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what like your day-to-day looks like in a facility like this? So the overall sex sorting process itself, it takes about 17 hours. So we work in different shifts. Like, so we've got, we, we run three to four shifts each day. Um, so the day would start with collecting semen around 6 a.m. in the morning, uh, doing a lot of pre-processing, which involves staining semen and preparing it to be sorted. And then uh, it will um, be the sorting process itself. It goes on for about eight hours or so. Um, and then um, there is a set of series a series of post processing um, steps that we do before the product is frozen into straws. I wanted to unpack a couple of the more technical aspects of uh, of the sorting um, and and one of your your earlier answers. So you mentioned that there are ten heads now at your facility in Camperdown. Can you explain to everyone what? a head means in the context of, of sperm sorting? Yep. Uh, so we commonly refer the sorter units as heads. So the sorter units are the equipment that we use to detect and sort semen, uh, sperm cells. So um, we at the Camperdown facility, we use uh, generation two more flow cytometers, modified flow cytometers. So with these equipment, uh, each flow cytometer chases comes with two heads. So we've got five more flow cytometers, which makes the which makes the total count to be ten. Uh, around the world, we also have other generation uh, flow cytometers. So, for example, in the U.S., most of our labs they they operate with uh, generation three uh, flow cytometers, which have three heads. So it seems like you know the scale of sex sorting in Australia is obviously a lot smaller than particularly what you're indicating in the states. So what does a sexing lab look like in the states? Are we talking about maybe twenty or thirty heads for one lab? So the biggest lab in the US is based in uh, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Uh, they are they have uh, an excess of hundred sorting heads. Oh uh, my god! <laughs> and, uh, and this lab um, they operate twenty four seven. So they collect yeah. semen three times a day and operate twenty four seven. We're, still, we're talking about scale. 
do you have any kind of estimate for the number of sperm that you would sort in a given year or the number of units perhaps that you would produce? Uh, we, uh, we processed about 150,000 straws uh, last year, uh, that predominantly 4 million semen, 4 million 6 ultra uh, semen. And we also have processed some 2 million semen as well. So it was a very good year for us. And, um, um, you know, year on year, so when compared to last year, we, this year we, can, we are expecting at least a 50% increase in our production rate. And next year, uh, it'll be another 50% increase to what we can produce this year. So that's how much growth we are going to see over the last next 18 months at least. So what we're going to do from last quarter 2021 is to run a second shift, uh, which means we'll go 24-5 and collect semen at 6 a.m. and also in the afternoon. So rather than running the sorting sorters only for eight hours, we'll be running it for, uh, running them for uh, close to 16 hours. So that way we'll be able to increase our productivity by at least 80% or more. So some unlucky person gets to sit up all night and That's babysit right. the sorters. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, there will be a few people working in the night shift, yes. Oh, I'm sure you pay them well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> great, great. That is fantastic news, though, for the, uh, the yeah. Australian animal industries that the uh, yeah. amount of sex semen which is going to be available is, is going to increase. It's clearly a technology that's that's gaining traction in industry in Australia. Yeah, for sure. I would say 99% of the semen that we processed in Camperdown uh, until 2019 was dairy semen. Um, currently, I would say the breakdown uh, breakdown would be 80% uh, dairy, say 15% uh, beef, and about 5% small ruminants, that's goats and sheep. That probably leads us um, well into one of the questions that we were asked uh, from a follower on, on Twitter just about the facilities that do operate as a, a multi-species sorting facility. Um, what sort of requirements do you have for cleaning machines between species? Um, can, you, can you sort different species on the same day or do you have to have gone through a full cleaning process? How does that work and does it impact upon your operations at all? Uh, we can process multi-species on the same day. Um, we have to uh, uh, extensively clean the machines between batches. It doesn't, uh, um, even when we are processing two different bowls, we have to clean the machines extensively. And the cleaning process remains the same for, you know, when we are moving from one species to another or going from one bowl to another. So it's no different. So there is a considerable downtime when we are cleaning the machines. So it can extend anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half in most cases. What people might not be aware of is what the requirements are for sorting. So, you know, are you able to, to sort sperm, for instance, that's already been frozen? Does it have to be collected fresh? Do the animals have to be on site? Yeah. Uh, the technology is available for us to uh, um, reverse sort uh, conventional straw, um, but um, most of the reverse sorting is done for IVF work. 100% of the work uh, we do, sex sorting work that we do here in Camperdown, is um, processing a raw ejaculate. Uh, semen doesn't have to be, I mean, most of the semen that we process uh, gets collected on site. So we are based in the TLGGA facility. So they've got a collection center right behind the lab. And they also have another collection center for non-CSS pools, which is about 15 kilometers away from where we are. Um, so we process semen uh, from bulls that are located here, but we also process semen uh, for bulls that are collected in a different collection facility and shipped out to us. As a, a follow-up to one of those points, though, is 
what is the status of using fresh or frozen semen in the, the small ruminant world? Um, does it ha- still have to be only fresh AIs for, for sheep and goats or is a frozen product uh, around the corner? No, the frozen product is available now. So we, we have started processing uh, both fresh and frozen for both sheep and uh, goats. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so in the past, yes, we were limited to just, uh, you know, processing sex semen in fresh form only, uh, but that's not the case anymore. So we have a commercially available frozen product um, that can be produced from uh, both sheep and goats now. Are you able to tell me how many sperm are in that frozen frozen dose or is it uh, trade secret? Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's it's it comes down to what the customer wants. Obviously, right. uh, most of the customers who have chosen to go the frozen route have picked a 4 million straw concentration, uh, but we've also processed some 2 million um, semen for a few other customers here. And what what does the price difference look like, Neil, in terms of comparing to con- just a conventional frozen straw? Yeah, so it's obvious sex semen is a bit more expensive, um, but in terms of uh, uh, cost per unit, it, it's highly dependent on the size of the con, like the contractual agreement between um, the ST and the end user, or between TLG and the end user. Concentration the customer chooses, gender selected, and also the form of the product if it's fresh or frozen. Uh, I'll just give you a ballpark figure, which may not be much of an information, but at least it gives you a, a starting point. So I would say, uh, um, you know, a, a sexed straw would cost anywhere from thirty to fifty dollars Australian. Things it's pretty amazing that you can input that much technology into a straw and it be kind of under a hundred dollars a pop. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we we are working on improving our technology and you know uh, uh, producing uh, increasing our yield as well, which will all contribute to uh, you know lowering the the cost of the product, which would be beneficial for our customers as well. Yeah. Are you able to tell us uh, how you're planning to increase the yield? Is there uh, some sort of technology that's coming down the pipeline that you're aware of or that you're, you're testing that's going to achieve that or increase speeds of sorting or so we are looking into uh, you know advancing or updating our sorting mechanics uh, which will obviously help us produce more semen per second uh, we're also looking into uh, you know, changing our processes like production processes, um, you know, to to help us achieve better semen viability, which will in turn contribute to uh, and a better fertility in the field. Um, so yeah, and and also you know, I, I initially told you about Gen twos and Gen three sorters. Uh, obviously, looking obviously looking into uh, you know updating our technology, and uh, you know there'll be further advancements to the uh, to the sorters that we're using. I was going to ask whether there was a Gen 4 machine in the, uh, in the, <laughs> in <pipeline>. the works. <laughs> I, I think you could probably just assume that there's always another right. iteration in the pipeline. Yes, uh, it's it's like iPhones and, you know, right. <laughs> so there'll be a next generation just around the corner. For each head, how many sperm are you sexing per second or how many process per second and how many are being sexed per, per second? What sort of... Uh, Give us some speeds to impress us, Neil. Every second per head, I'd be processing about 9,000 cells. So they're heading through there at about, what, 70Ks an hour? Or something? <laughs> yeah. about- it's crazy that it is that quick and yet it still takes eight hours to sort. Yes. Uh, so during the sorting process, what happens is like we are obviously identifying um, 
the female and male population uh, in the ejaculate but we're also separating the viable sperm from the dead sperm mm -hmm. so uh, whatever sperm that gets sorted into the tube um, that is that is all viable um, so yeah that's that's one of the reasons why even though you're pushing through 30,000 sperm per second you're only sorting eight to nine thousand of those into the tube yeah so that's a good point to mention, actually, is that you kind of get the bonus doing sorting of actually sorting out all of your viable sperm as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And I suppose it's, it's also worthwhile people remembering that it's not taking eight hours to sort a single unit. And uh, by unit, we mean straw of semen. There's, uh, there's many, many units which are coming from, from each ejaculate too. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Uh, so if uh, uh, if I'm running an ejaculate on all ten machines for eight hours, my uh, production output would be anywhere from five hundred and fifty to six hundred straws at four million concentration. I remember a very sad day in the lab where I realised that I'd put the X down and I'd put the Y down and I couldn't remember which tube had gone where and um, it's not like they look any different under the microscope <laughs> no no it's not like one's pink and one's blue but uh from that point onwards i had color coded everything and uh one sex always went in the left hand and one sex always went in the right hand. But, um, well, that's that's a question that gets asked a lot like how do we make sure there's no cross-contamination yeah, uh, be it, yeah. Be it, you know gender cross-contamination or cross-contamination uh, so uh, we, we do i mean color coding is 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 something that we use in many in many places but we also have barcoding system uh, and protocols in place where when we move a tube from one area to say area a to area b we would uh, we would um, scan the tube make sure the tube is you know uh, clearly identified um, and also move to the other other area and also scan it again to ensure we move the right tube. So that's what happens. Uh, we also do um, gender purities at the end of the sort, which is and make sure it is 90% pure before the product gets released. But on top of that, we are also doing real-time purities. So when we are sorting, we're also checking the purity of the product. I have a question just about your your QC procedures, if, if I may. Um, I guess just to give confidence to for people who are thinking what's checked in a straw other than the purity what are you checking before you release a straw out to market so we we do check for gender purity obviously we we ensure uh, uh, the product is 90 percent pure before it gets released uh, but on top of that we also check for motility um, so we do a zero hour and a three hour post motility check for all our product uh, we check for morphology as well and we also do bacteriological checks to ensure there's no contamination, uh, microbial contamination in the product. And we're also checking for percentage of intact acrosome. Probably one of the questions that I'm most frequently asked is from people in the sheep industry is that we want to produce some sex semen from our ram. What's the process? How do we organise this? What do we do? Now, you've, you've pretty much already um, answered part of the question in that you need to have the rams within two hours of camper down in Victoria. So that either means sending your rams down to Total Livestock Genetics or to um, another breeding company, which is within the, the two hours. Um, are you able to give um, a little bit more detail about who, you know, do they contact you? Do they contact the TLG office? If you're a, 
if you're a, a producer out there, a small ruminant producer who wants to do this, who do they get in touch with to organise? Like in the past, we have breeders and producers who have come to us directly, um, you know, to um, to put through their order requests, you know, um, give us collection details like about which product they want. They want a fresh product or a frozen product, uh, which gender they want to be selected and the straw concentration as well. Uh, more than happy to take those requests. And uh, once that's, that process is completed, the next steps would be uh, to... Uh, uh, put them in touch with either TLG or one of the collection centers that uh, that are that, that's based around Camperdown um, to set up uh, animal housing, um, a semen collection, and also uh, other invoicing procedures that needs to be carried out. So, but uh, in some cases, customers would go to TLG. Uh, so TLG has a really good uh, um, administration team as well, who's uh, who's involved in uh, bringing animals to the collection center and also preparing them for sex sorting. Well, for people listening in, we'll grab all of those details and, um, and put them on our, our website uh, in case you're thinking, yes, this is for me. And you can get in touch with Neil or, uh, or somebody else within the, the team to to get organised and ask more questions. Thanks very much for joining us on Repro Radio today, Neil. No, it's my pleasure. It's uh, Thanks for having me, guys. It's um, It was great to talk about six, all things sex, even with both <laughs> of you. <laughs> We're back with another segment of Repro News. So what have you got for us this month, Naomi? Happy October, everybody. Uh, let's start out uh, as per usual with our conferences that are upcoming. Um, we have a couple of these that don't have abstract dates, but just keep an eye out just in case that they do have any late submissions. So our first one is the uh, Association for Advanced Animal Breeding and Genetics, mm-hmm. which has both a online version and also in person, which is awesome. Once again, you can attend if you can't actually be there. Uh, this is on uh, held in Adelaide on the 2nd to the 4th of November. And yep. registration dates are to be confirmed, so make sure you check on the website for when you can register. Our second conference in the animal reproduction realm is ESDA, so the European Society of Domestic Animal Reproduction. This is actually only an online uh, conference this year. It was meant to be held in Greece, which also would have been amazing. Um, but Damn. all I know, <laughs> but all online, which is perfect for all of us, so we can attend. And that one is uh, on October 11th to 16th of this year. So just in time for when this uh, this uh, drops. Uh, our last conference, which has some ab- abstract dates that are going to be coming up later in the year, but definitely worth penciling in so you remember. So uh, the International Conference on Pig Reproduction, which is going to be held in Ghent in uh, Belgium. I know that I probably said that incorrectly, uh, <laughs> but a beautiful part of the world, which I have visited before. Uh, abstracts, abstract dates are due on the 15th of December. Um, so make sure to get those ones in. Uh, in terms of our upcoming training, so one mm-hmm. thing that I came across um, that's held by Meat and Livestock Australia, they have um, some workshops uh, called that are under the name Edge Network. Um, so they're really interesting workshops aimed uh, at farm and business management um, for producers, and they do have one that's specifically related to animal breeding. Uh, I believe it's called uh, Breeding Edge. Uh, So there's none coming up at the moment, uh, but do keep a check on the MLA website because they do have an events calendar there to see when there might be some coming up across Australia. Nice. 
Yeah. Uh, for upcoming awards, uh, so one of these is held by or awarded by the National Herd Improvement Association of Australia. They have some industry awards. Uh, so this is for uh, the dairy industry. So they have ones for young achievers, uh, so for funding a sponsor position towards uh, an improved self Im- uh, self-improvement program. And this is valued at $2,500, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. And also a really prestigious uh, award known as the Laurie Wells Award for Recognition and Excellence and for Outstanding Service to the Dairy Industry. Uh, So this one, if you work in the dairy industry and you'd like to be uh, nominated for this award, definitely put your name in or put a friend's name in, a friend producer, (laughs) uh, because definitely worthwhile being recognised for the incredible work that the dairy industry does. Some great content for our industry listeners there. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, Another award that we have, this is more targeted towards our academic audience, uh, is the Humboldt Research Fellowship. Uh, This is due in November. I believe it might be the 1st of November. They didn't give an exact date because I know that Mm -hmm. they do have uh, um, applications due all throughout the year. So we will have the the website uploaded, so be sure to check that out. But this Humboldt Research Fellowship is for sponsorship of researchers for all many stages of career, um, and it gives them the opportunity to be uh, be able to go over to Germany and do some work over there in an institution of their choice. It could be anywhere between, I think it's six to 24 months stay. So that is part of the award that you need to go um, overseas. But what an amazing opportunity for collaboration. Um, I know that at the moment it's a bit tricky for Australians, but we will get that chance. Uh, but anyone else all over the world who's able to travel, definitely check out that award. Absolutely. Nice little chance for a sabbatical in Germany there. Oh, 100%. Who wouldn't want that? Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, And finally, we come up to our publication of the month. So this one has only just been recently dropped. And uh, it is very close to my heart because it is a topic that I did for my honours project. So I have a soft spot for cervical mucus. (laughs) (laughs) Not Uh, many people will claim that. (laughs) No, no, you don't. But this one is a very uh, valuable piece of work for um, that research. So uh, the publication is Identification and Characterization of O-Linked Glycans in Cervical Mucus as Biomarkers of Sperm Transport. And this is a novel uh, sheep study. So novel sheep model. So only specifically looked at in sheep. Uh, it's the first study of its kind in uh, studying cervical mucus, uh, the oglycan composition in sheep, which is amazing, but also really relevant to other species, specifically humans um, too. So nice. yeah, really nice piece of work uh, and highly recommend a read. And you just got to give a shout out to anybody who's working with cervical mucus. We both know what an absolute nightmare it can be. So getting to the point of publication, I think, just deserves a real round of applause. Oh, absolutely. Big big hurrah (laughs) to these these amazing researchers. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us again, Naomi, and we'll see you soon. Yep. Sounds good. Thank you. Today we're speaking with Cleo Mikus, who works mainly as a veterinarian in Ireland after completing her PhD under the Walsh Fellowship, where she was investigating the fertility of bovine sex semen in the dairy industry. Given that we're talking all things sex semen today, do you want to just briefly introduce your PhD research and I guess how you kind of fit into that context? My PhD studies, like really, we were doing several trials and some kind of work also in the lab to know the fertility of sex semen 
but under the Irish conditions. So in dairy farms here in Ireland, and here we have a seasonal, pasture-based seasonal cabin system. Our question was, could sexy men work for us? No, because the sexy men in general in the previous studies were always, uh, had always lower fertility than conventional. We got quite good um, pregnancy rates, like um, it was like between 78 to 88% of what achieved with conventional. And then we define some characteristics in this one and in the following trial about like associated with a greater light hole that those cows get pregnant, elastating cows, that mainly the body condition score, that's something very important in, in grass system. Then we conducted another trial in 2018. And in that time, and luckily we didn't have a sex sorting lab here. So um, I have to fly me and two other girls, we were flying for, say, one month, two months to Manchester with the ejaculates of bulls. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it was quite funny. Committed to the transport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like answering questions in the security. We only did uh, frozen, no fresh. And we only do, did in lactating cows. And in this case, we got lower relative pregnancy rates, like a 76% of what achieved with conventional. Very interestingly, in a third of the farms, uh, we have like sexy men achieve 90% of the pregnancy rates achieved with conventional, meaning that those farms had oh, maybe a low pregnancy rate with conventional and high with sexy men. At that time, people were talking about delaying the insemination, like being later, being closer to the ovulation. So we we decide to conduct another experiment. And in that case, we use the synchronization and we delay the insemination of sexy men for six hours. So we have conventional, then sexy men, and then sexy men six hours later. But we couldn't find a difference, really. But we found differences between the AI technicians. But it makes sense because uh, sexy men is a very delicate product. So it depends how you do it, how you treat it, the temperature, everything like is, is quite important. I mean, obviously you've seen a lot of variation and you do think there are differences farm to farm, but so far with all of your experience, which sounds considerable working with this, mm. do you think that there is a, a place for this technology, at least in the, the Irish farming systems and potentially more on a global scale as well? Yeah, of course. And as I said now, it's, it's just a welfare. For me, it's a welfare problem. Like, um, like for example, here in Ireland, we don't have uh, like a big breeding facilities and Farmers breed uh, them, but um, most of the calves are shipped to Italy, Spain, Turkey, and they are very like babies, <laughs> and they are shipped in, in bad conditions. So if we can get rid of that, or at least reduce, that's a big thing. It has a space, but always with the considerations of the fertility. Like the first thing you have to have is good fertility with conventional. If you don't have good com fertility with conventional, like sexy men is not going to give you like good results. What no. would be some of your recommendations, I guess, to a to a property that was considering using this? Have you have you sort of got something that you would say to them? I will look at the cows. I will look what's the body condition score. Is this homogeneous? You know, or you have some cows are very very skin skinny. Some are very fat. That tells me mm, something is happening there. Um, What's the percentage of them with lameness, with mastitis, with other diseases? 
is it basically is everything working well? Because the first thing that is going to drop is the fertility. If something is not working well, how they look at the heat detection, very important. Do they have any automatic system or not? Who is going to do the insemination? Is going to do be someone that is really used to inseminate? Turning a little bit more back to you, I guess personally, uh, you're working as a, a vet at the moment, but you've obviously still got a, a bit of a foot in the in the research world. What's sort of coming up next for you in your career? Do you know what direction you want to take? No idea at the moment. <laughs> I don't know. I really like teaching. I like also like the translation of these things. You know, like as you said, like talking with the farmers. What I didn't want to become is like someone that is in academia all the time and then go to the farmers and don't know about <laughs> what's happening in the farm. As a vet, I go and I look at also that, as I said, lameness, mastitis, body condition score, everything, because everything has an influence. So yes, I suppose learning, keep keep learning and, and working. It's been really interesting talking to you. Uh, you've got a very interesting perspective on this as well. So thank you for your time today. Thank you, Katsu. Well, that's it for another episode of Repro Radio. I personally have had a blast. Taylor, how have you found things? <laughs> yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I've worked a little bit with Sex Seaman, as you, you know. Have. You but... have. I remember <laughs> a couple of trips down to Victoria for some inseminations. Yeah, I got strong-armed into helping out with several field trials as part of my PhD. But yeah, I mean, it was nice just talking about sex semen again because I haven't had that much exposure after being involved in those trials. It was nice to, you know, think about it a little bit more, talk about its use in industry, where it might be going in the future. It's all still stuff that I find really interesting. No, look, it, it, it is. And as I will I said at the beginning, and I'll, I'll repeat again now, it's just, I think it's one of the most fascinating reproductive technologies that is is out there. So uh, we hope that you've really enjoyed this episode. And uh, look, I, I won't say this for every episode, but if you've got more questions, just email <laughs> me, give me a call. I would be happy to talk about this uh, ad infinitum. Any time of the day or night, just send him a text. <laughs> But no, seriously, we would like to thank our guests, Neil and Cleo, for their time and, uh, and their insights onto this, in this topic. And also a huge thanks to our sponsor, Zoetis, who have, has been uh, very generous in supporting this episode. Next episode, we've got something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about reproduction in native Australian species, which I think is going to be really interesting because I know that they're pretty bizarre when it comes to reproduction. So if you've got any questions, uh, feel free to reach out on Twitter or send us an email. That's it for this month. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us. For more information about our guests today or Repro News, check out the show notes for this episode on our website. If you've got a question for our next guest, send us an email or find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Repro Radio is hosted and produced by me, Taylor Pinney, and executive produced by Simon DeGraff. Repro News by Naomi Bernicic, ACR Spotlight Reporting by Kelsey Poole, Production Assistance by Jess Rickard, Maddie Vanderhoek and Sophie Waugh, and audio design by Dylan Gerrilly.